0: And just, like, just, can we just soak for a minute in where we are right now? Like, like I, get, I, I get that church is not about a building, but after being a church on the move for 11 years and moving a lot in the in 18 months prior to moving in here, like, think about where we were two years ago. Like, we were talking about this, we were talking about kind of joking after the sweet time of, um, we had on Friday night here. Like, two years ago, we were trying to figure out how to record and, and, and put out a service from our backyard. Like literally, because we had no place to meet. And then last year, God had given us that little place to meet. And you remember, we were going to have our resurrection service outside, but it was 103 degrees. And Easter was earlier than it is this year. And so we moved back inside, and by the end of the service, I think it was 103 in that little room also, and you guys were all, like, so just like just stop, I mean, God is, God is good in very tangible ways. That is, that is not what the gospel is about, that is not what the resurrection is about, but that does not mean that we shouldn't stop and just praise him and thank him for his goodness. So thank you, Lord, for this place, thank you for these people, thank you for air conditioning, thank you for... Um, just the evidences of your grace gifts that are, that are throughout the world. Frankly, in many ways, on believers and unbelievers. And Lord, I pray right now that as we continue to worship you, your spirit and your word would do its work in our lives. Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. If you look at your first Talking Points question, it's in your bulletin. It's the, the things we use to have conversation around here. Uh, we won't be quite as interactive today as we normally are. But um, the first Talking Points question says this. He is risen. Right, Brian talked about it. So did the other Brian. talked about it. He has risen, and it says this. And if the tomb is empty, and he rose from the dead, and if he ascended into heaven, and if he and if he sits at the right hand of the Father, and if he will return in glory, it begs the question: Who's the he? Right, It begs the question, if, if, guys, and what I mean by uh, the, the obvious answer is the one we're here to worship today is Jesus. But it's like, who is he in all of his fullness? Guys, I am not here today to do an apologetics message about why the empty tomb is a, is a historical fact. I'm not here to even read about the empty tomb seen in one of the Gospels. Many of you have heard those stories. You've read those stories. There are great books out there about how, guys, just understand this. Wherever you are with Jesus right now, understand this. That the tomb was empty is a historical fact. Not a biblical fact, a historical fact. right? And if you need help understanding that, come see me and I'll point you to some places that, that really helped open my mind up to this 25, 26 years ago when he sealed me in Christ. But I'm here today to preach Christ and him crucified. And, and I want to start by reminding us all of who he is. Because what makes the crucifixion satisfactory, what makes the resurrection so powerful, isn't the, aren't the events. It's the person behind the events. Right? And so in your bulletin also there's a little handout called The Great I Am. And I'm just going to go through these very quickly. And our AV person is going to strive to keep up. And here is who Jesus is throughout the Bible. Guys, okay, so the new The the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a New Testament idea. It is a Bible idea. It is the story God has been telling literally from the book of Genesis. So here's who Jesus is in every one of the 66 books of the Bible. In Genesis, I was the word created in the heavens. In Exodus, I was the Passover lamb whose blood covered you. In Leviticus, I was the holy place where you would meet with God. In Numbers, I was the pillar of cloud by fire by day and by, or by cloud by day and by fire by night. In Numbers, I, I'm sorry, in Deuteronomy, I was the coming prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, I was the conquering warrior. In judges, I was the one whose, through eyes, you could see what was right. In Ruth, I was your kinsman redeemer. In first and second Samuel, I was your shepherd king. In first and second kings, I was your good king. In first and second chronicles, I was the one who established the kingdom. In Ezra, I was the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, I'm the one who built the wall. In Esther, I was your advocate in the throne room. In Job, I was your living redeemer. In the Psalms, I was the one who would hear your heart's cry. In Proverbs, I was the wisdom of the wise. In Ecclesiastes, I was the meaning in the madness. In the Song of Solomon, I was your passion. In Isaiah, I was your wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. In Jeremiah, I was the spirit who writes God's law on your heart. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life that brings life to the nations. In Daniel, I was the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the faithful husband pursuing the adulterous woman. In Joel, I was the restorer. In Amos, I was your burden bearer. In Obadiah, I was the judge of all the years. In Jonah, I was the prophet that was cast into the sea so that the storm would cease. In Micah, I was the ruler born in Bethlehem. In Nahum, I was the avenger of God. In Habakkuk, I was the reason. For rejoicing. In Zephaniah, I was the great reformer. In Haggai, I was the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, I was the pierced son. And in Malachi, I was the son of righteousness. And God was just getting started. Right? That was just Act 1. Right? Because all of that was pointing forward as God was unveiling and unfolding His plan of salvation from the beginning to what we call the new covenant. And in Matthew, it says that. That Jesus was the King of the Jews, in Mark he was the son, the servant, Son of God. In Luke he was the Savior, born to Christ, Christ the Lord. In John he was the Word in flesh. In Acts he was the power behind our witness. In Romans he was the Justifier. In First and Second King or um, Corinthians he was the Spirit at work in the church. In Galatians he was our righteousness. In Ephesians he is our armor. In Philippians he is the one. Who meets our every need? In Colossians, he was the firstborn of all creation. In First and Second Thessalonians, he was the one who was returning in the clouds. In First and Second Timothy, he is the one mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the promoter of the, he is our promoter, restoring us into service for him. In, Phile- or in Hebrews, he was the high, holy priest. In James, he is the one who is at work in our faith. In first and second Peter, he is the cornerstone. In first, second, and third John, he is the righteous advocate. In Jude, he is the one who presents us faultless and blameless. And in Revelation at the end, he is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Who Jesus is matters. Right? He is the perfect God man. He is the one who said, I will go down there for them to redeem back for us a people that were lost in our rebellion. He did it because he wanted to. Now the question is, if, if all of that is true about him, if all of this, like, and when I say this, I'm talking about the whole world, all of creation, is made through him and by him and For him and you're his in eternity past he said you're mine and he saved you at great cost to himself the question becomes and i loved where brian took us and where brian took us and where your prayers took us the the question that becomes it compels us into so what are we going to do about it and I don't, I don't just mean believe, although we need to start there. I mean, like, as believers, what are we going to do about it? If this is the greatest story that has ever been told, it doesn't end with your salvation. Your salvation is just the beginning of God's story in your life. And that story is going to go on forever and ever and ever So what are we supposed to do about it? Today we're going to be looking at a a message that I entitled, Revealing His Righteousness. And so open up to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at how he revealed his righteousness through what we celebrate on Easter weekend for sure, but so that we might be righteousness revealers. And ultimately, the question we're going to ask today is, are you living proof? That death is dead. Guys, I get that the, I get life is hard. I get that this world wants to beat you down. I get that the enemy is real. I get that our flesh is powerful. I get all of the things. But when we live in those things, and when we live with those things, the world, the enemy, and our flesh in view, and not Christ in view, we cannot possibly have an affirmative answer to my question today. Your life cannot be living proof that death is dead if you're living just to get through today. As hard as today can be sometimes. So we're going to look at three things that Paul points out in our passage today that that are questions that help answer the question. First thing is, is the gospel written on your heart? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ written on your heart? That is not a New Testament idea. Number two, is God's glory shown in your face? And then the last thing is, is God is the knowledge of God being made evident in your life? So if you aren't already there, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole thing today. Hopefully you did this morning as part of your daily readings, but I'm going to pick it up in our first point. Is the gospel written on your heart? This is the word of the Lord. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, to write letters of recommendation to you and from you? Now understand this. Paul, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul, the same one that wrote Romans, the letter that that we're in here um, right now. He writes to this church at least three times. Two of them are the letters 1 and 2 Corinthians. There's at least a third letter that we know about that was apparently so harsh, the Holy Spirit didn't want us to have it. Because if you read 1 Corinthians, you realize this is a church messed up, and Paul isn't, as, isn't very loving to them in that letter. Now what was the letter we lost like? Now 2 Corinthians, what he's trying to do is sort of, Pull them back into, hey guys, but let's remember you're convicted of your sin, you realize what you've done wrong, now let's remember the goodness of God. Right? Let's remember what happened here. And so he's saying, guys, do we need to keep writing these letters back and forth? He says, you yourselves, verse 2, you yourselves are our letter, a, rec- a, a recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Now, some translations, Translate that word our to your, and they're not wrong because the manuscripts have it both ways. Because the point Paul is making is that there was this back and forth relationship. That's what the first two verses are talking about. There's this case, the fact that we are relating around the gospel truth is evidence of the gospel truth, is ultimately what he's saying. Now pick it up in verse three. He says, And you show that you are the letter from Christ delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now guys, you know, if you've been around at all, or you've seen, like we watched yesterday... Charlton Heston, who is Moses, in the Ten Commandments video, our movie, that was made in the 50s, right? Where the fire comes down and writes out the Ten Commandments on the mountain. And ultimately, Paul is pulling forward this story about the Ten Commandments being written in tablets of stone. But here's what's part of what's interesting about this. He says, both times he uses the word written. In verse 2, written on our or your hearts. And then in verse 3, Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. That word written is in, is in the perfect tense of the Greek. That means it was done in the past, once for all time, and can never be undone. What Paul's saying is, if, if God has written on your heart by the Holy Spirit, you can't be unwritten. And then it's in the passive voice. Which means, it, it doesn't mean you wrote on it. It doesn't even mean you helped God write on it. It means God wrote it on you. So he's saying, your salvation, the gospel has been made real in your very life because God has written it on your heart. Now where is he getting this whole idea? If you look at verse 4 when he says, such is our confidence that we have through Christ toward God. That sounds very, like he's saying, your heart has been changed. Where does he get that? Because that's not a New Testament idea. Right The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, and verse 33, he says, "I will put my word in their heart. I will write it on their heart." Jeremiah 31:33 says, and, "And they will be my people, and I will be my, their God." Because that was written in 600 BC. during a very dark time in God's, when God's people, Jeremiah is watching. Jerusalem fall to the Babylonians when he writes that. And his counterpart, Ezekiel, has been taken into captivity by those Babylonians with Daniel and he says the same thing. He says, and I will give them a heart, I will give them a, a new heart and I will put a new spirit within them and I will take out or remove their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. Again, guys, that's written 600 years before the New Testament even era even started. This idea of a renew of a new heart, the heart of stone being taken out, the gospel being written on your heart is, is a truth of the gospel message, even in the Old Testament. It's just Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, what we celebrate today, his ascension and the return at Pentecost is what made it possible for this promise to be fulfilled. Because now the Holy Spirit can indwell you. So look at your second talking points question. Because here's the question, Like, how do we know your heart has been transformed? Now some of you are sitting here or you're listening online or you're not here today and you, and you know your heart has not been transformed and you're in a place where you don't care. And I get you. Because I sat in church for a long time as a teenager when I would go and as a 20-something when I would go and I would listen and I would think, yeah, whatever. I'm, you know. And then I finally got to a place where I'm like, well, I'm glad that works for you people, but I'm smarter than that. Right? I understand, because uh, here, if, if you're sitting here today and, and you know your heart has not been renewed, you're in a really dangerous spot, but you're in a good place. Because it's the one, here's what I mean by that, you're in a dangerous spot because you are an enemy of God, and ultimately, his justice will be done. Or, but what I mean by you're in a good place is because the f- knowing that you're an enemy of God, is a massive step. Because here's the problem. What the enemy has done is he has lulled the church. When I say church, I mean like around the world, people who are professing faith in Christ but are not really sealed believers into believing some false gospel, some false version of Jesus died for me and it was finished at the cross. And that looks a hundred different ways. It looks cultish and it looks just lukewarmness. And that's the most dangerous place to be. Guys, the person that I'm preaching to today is the person who thinks they're Christian and are not saved. And I have no idea which ones of you that is. I don't. I don't know the human heart. But God does. God does. So we don't need to live in fear of that. We need to see evidence. We need to go, what are the evidences of renewed life? Well, what are some of the evidences of renewed life? Real quick. What? Joy. For for all the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Being forgiving. Guys, if you're sitting here today going, I know I'm His because I know how much I need Him, you're His. Honestly. That's the the thing. Now, how do I know that that's real in my life? Well, might I humbly submit, and I wrote this on here so you could take it home with you and be convicted of it like I was. It is by how you see those that are not yet saved. Show me a person whose heart is broken for the lost around them. And I will show you a person who has truly experienced the glorifying grace of of God and Jesus Christ. Guys, if the brokenness in the world and all the stuff that goes on around us and, and all over the globe, if, if it makes you angry and not broken for them, you're probably not in a very good place. Right? We talk about this a lot here at Crosstrain. It's not how can they, it's of course they do. Of course they behave that way. How can they not? The gospel has not yet been written on their heart That's what we need to remember. Guys, unless we know that we are in utter need of him, we don't really come to Christ. Unless you, if, if all you did was raise your hand, pray a prayer, maybe at a resurrection service and, and they made an altar call and you're like, yeah, I just am feeling overwhelmed by the moment and, I go, and, and there's been no life change, no evidence, no, no softening of your heart, no, like, none, of, none of this like caring about what's going on in the world from a spiritual perspective, I would ask you to spend today evaluating where you're at with Jesus. Because unless you came to Jesus going, I am utterly helpless and a complete sinner. I am an enemy of God and worthy of his justice. But God, rich in mercy, when I was in that place and completely stone cold dead, made me alive through the cross of Jesus Christ. Unless you came that way, you didn't come. So I would ask you to evaluate how you came to Christ. Guys, my premise today is that part of why it's so hard for us, and what drove me to the question today, our question today about, is your life living proof that death is dead, is because my premise is that, that most of the world has not believed the gospel, and I get there's a lot of theology behind this statement. I understand that God is sovereign. I, un- I also understand that we have responsibility. And I believe that, the, that most of the world has not believed the gospel because we have seen so little evidence of it from the people who profess faith in Christ. The thing, that keeps, the thing that kept me from Jesus longer than anything else for the first half of my 50 plus years wasn't even people trying to invite me in. It was how I saw people living that were professing faith in Christ. It was by how judgmental people were towards me. It was, it was just their lack of, it was, it was, it was, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian on Sunday between 9 and 9.45 and then I better get out the door because those services are just too long and not living any differently the rest of the week. I mean, and I'm not talking about behavior. I'm just talking about priority. Just like, where's your focus? And I'm, thinking, I'm like, how are you, why would I join something that is no different than where I already am? We have to come to grips with the fact that, that our testimony, our evidence of life change, is massively important to God. And that leads us to our second point. So the first thing is, so is your life living proof that death is dead? First, is the gospel been written on your heart? Second is, is God 's glory being shown in your face? Now let's pick it up where I 'm going to pick it up actually in verse 12. So Paul has gone on in the passages that we skipped and he's sort of talking about this idea of the Old and New Covenant. The Old Covenant was the Word and Moses and talking about the Word and the Law. The New Covenant did not do away with that. What he adds in in the, past, in the verses we skipped is he says the New Covenant is the Word of God and the Spirit of God together. And then he goes on in verse 12 and this idea of and the glory being shown in your face. And he expands on what that glory of the Spirit is connected to the truth of God's word, looks like. And he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put on a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. When, when Moses would go up and speak to God, he would, his presence with God would actually, would actually impact him so much that it would change his appearance. And when he came down, the people of God were like, put the veil over your face. Well, that, there was also another veil that they would separate them from the glory of God. It was the veil that was in the Holy of Holies. What happened, and kind of almost literally, for those of you that were here with our little curtain thing, what happened to that veil when Christ says, it is finished? It is torn in two. But he's saying, for those who don't yet believe in that promise that it is finished, that veil still remains. Why? Because Jesus is the only way into that holy of holies. John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Guys, Christianity is very exclusive. You only get there one way, that way it's also massively inclusive and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him should never perish he didn't just love this specific group of people over here he says I love the world and I sent my son into the world not to judge the world but that the world would be saved through him the question is has the veil been lifted for us? Now look at what he says in verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses, the word, and particularly the Pentateuch, the law, to this day, whenever the law, the, Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. Just like it lies over many, even here today, guys. But now get this. Look at this beautiful. But when one turns to the Lord, what does that sound like? What's the word we use for that? What? Repent. It's a call to repentance. But when one, because here's the interesting part it's in what's called the subjunctive. It's one of the least in, in, in the Greek. It's, it's the mood of something that might happen. In other words, this isn't, God is not making you turn. According to what Paul says here, he's saying, when one turns, and they may or may not. Get this though. The veil is removed. Now guess what tense that's in? Perfect. Perfect passive again. So he's like, you may or may not turn, but once you turn, it's a done deal because it's all God from then on. Like it's it. You're done. So he's saying there's this call to repentance. Now look at verse seventeen. Now the Lord is spirit, and those who I'm sorry, and the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So he's calling them to repent. He's calling us to freedom. The first letter Paul writes, some of the first words he writes in Galatians chapter 5. What does he say in Galatians 5.1? It is for freedom that Christ set you free. So don't get back under that bondage of the yoke of slavery. Guys, don't hear today. In in our in your witness. I don't, guys, if 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 the enemy's already whispering, yes, see, you haven't been living for Jesus. And man, this, this preacher, he's telling you, you better start living for Jesus. You better get your behavior figured out, and you better get your marriage right, and you better get better at your parenting, and you better get better in your workplace, and you better and you better and you better. And you better. Stop. Just stop. You can't. He can. He will. Right? This is not about behavior. Our witness is not about white knuckling, trying to do better. That's called legalism. And it is one of the ways the enemy has turned the church against the gospel. So it's a call to repentance, it's a call to freedom. Look at the last part of this, verse 18 last part of this chapter, he says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So it's also a call to glory. Here's what's interesting. That word there where he says being transformed, it's the word in Greek metamorpho. It's like metamorph, like the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's the same word Mark uses when describing Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he says, and Jesus was transformed in front of them, it's the same word. What is Paul telling us here? He's saying we are being transformed from one image of glory to the other. Part of that glory is the glory that when we are saved, we are sealed in the Spirit It's a the Holy Spirit comes into us. It's a pledge of our inheritance, and that is part of the glory. And the other part of the glory is the glory that is yet to be revealed. Right? It's this. It's and every once in a while, like it did for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, His divinity shined through His humanity. Every once in a while, when we're really in step with the Spirit, our our divineness, the Holy Spirit in us, starts to ooze out of us, and we start to glow, like not visibly. But you know those people. Guys, you know those people that are so full of the Holy Spirit where you're just like, I just want to be next to you, man. Like, I just want to like, like, come on, like, you know? Like, seriously. What, what is that? That's what he's talking about right here. Look at your third talking points question. Because some of you are already like, yeah, I don't know about this whole glory to glory and transform thing. <laughs> it says, verse, in, in number three there, it says, Paul doubles down on the idea of God's glory on display through us when he says... This was the passage that Brian read during our calling. When Christ is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's Colossians 3, 4. But he also said in in verse 10 of Colossians, "...put on the new self through which you are being renewed into the image of Christ, back into the image of your creator." He's saying that image that was marred in the garden, that was lost at the fall, you put on your new self. It's already, in you. it's already in you. Just live in that reality, Paul's saying in Colossians. Live in the reality of who God has made you to be, and you will look more like you're supposed to look like from before the fall, like Adam and Eve looked before they rebelled. Guys, think about it this way for those of you that are, that are with us in the Romans series, where we start in, in, in Romans 1 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul tells us. Why? Because it is the power of God, the gospel, what we're talking about today, the gospel that converts us and that molds us into his image. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Why? Because in it the righteousness of God has been revealed. God's willingness to save, God's power to save, God's ability to transform has been all of it's been revealed in the in, the, in God's story that we call the gospel. But guys, this is, this is part of where I started at the very beginning. Guys, we got to understand, like this isn't, this isn't a message for come to faith in Christ and everything's going to be better. This is a message for if you have come to faith in Christ, you should be giving your life to him. Like daily, moment by moment, glory to glory daily. Like, like all the time. I loved how that's Brian took us there. He didn't know that's what I was going to talk about, but that's where he took us during our prayer time. And that's what you guys prayed about. Are we living the glory-filled life for his glory. Why? Because what happens here now matters forever. Guys, we have preached a gospel that says this. And so I have my little demonstration. So, so we, we preached a gospel that says this. If, if this is my life, this red part right here, this is my lifespan. So I was born here and, I, and my body dies here. We've preached a gospel that says what happens here with Jesus matters for eternity and it surely does because everybody not everybody who's ever been born everybody who's ever been knit together in their mother's womb everybody who's ever been conceived has a soul everybody you don't get a soul when you come out of the womb babies in the womb have a soul and every one of those souls lives forever and ever the only question is address. And what we decide here impacts that address. We, we, if, if, you've, if you've ever heard the gospel message, you understand that. And I want, you to, I want you to understand that. Apart from Christ, your eternity is to be separated from God forever and ever. That's why he came. That's the message of the cross. That's what we celebrated on, on Friday. And the fact that the tomb is empty is the proof that the price was paid. But guys, there's more to the story than just that. It's not less than that. It surely is eternal salvation kind of a big deal. But guys, what we have done is we've preached this gospel that says, because this is all that matters. And, as, and once I get, as long as somewhere in here I've made this decision for Christ and I'm good to go, then I'm good to go. Like literally good to go. But Jesus doesn't teach that. Jesus says, Every single one of these moments on this line matters for the rest of your eternity. Now, I'm not going to go into all the teaching on that, but guys, just think about this. He says, like, don't worry about, here's our problem. We are, and I, again, I, I said it earlier, life is hard. Many of us have, have had really hard things happen, especially in the last couple of years, but it's not like COVID invented hardship. Life has always been hard, right? It just has. It's part of the brokenness of this world. But we're so busy just trying to get through today. Like, man, I just want to get through. And then, and, and, then, and then probably worrying a lot about our tomorrow. So what does Jesus tell us? Don't worry about tomorrow because that today has enough problems of its own. Just worry about, just, just deal with today. Our problem is is, is, is that's all we do. It's like, I'm just going to get through today. I'm going to get through today. I, me too. What we have to come to realize is, is what we do here today. And every one of those todays that is just one little dot Not just affects our eternal destination, but it affects what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Because we are not just going to be sitting around singing kumbaya, casting our crowns before the throne. That is not true. All of creation will be redeemed. That's what the resurrection shows us. He bodily resurrected Christ. Christ had and has a physical form. Why? Because God is saying all of creation will be physically redeemed. Not just people. And we are going to be doing stuff for all of eternity. Now the question is, if what we do here in this line affects everything, what is going to... Because this line, guys, it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And my rope doesn't, but this line of eternity goes on forever and ever and ever. The question is... What are we living for? Are we just living for this, guys? You are king. If you're if you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you are a kingdom person meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. That is it. He has changed your citizenship. He's changed your identity. That's just the reality of it. If you believe the Bible, you are a kingdom person of a new kingdom, and it's already here. And it will come. And when it comes, it's going to last a really long time. And what do you want this life to do to impact the next, both for you and for others? So, is your life living proof that death is dead? Are you living f- for the line that goes into eternity? Is the gospel been written on your heart? Is the glory revealed in your face? And is the knowledge of God made evident in your life. Look at the first four verses of chapter four. Therefore, so therefore, in light of everything I just said, in light of the fact that he is in the process of changing us into his glorious image, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he's like, because only by God's mercy are we even able to proclaim this message, we do not lose heart. No matter what's going on in the world, we don't lose heart. Paul, Paul later in this letter writes about all the bad things that have happened to him. All, like, like, and it's, guys, nobody in this room has, has touched a half of what's happened to this man. And he isn't even halfway done with his ministry. And he's like, I don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, under, underhanded ways. So we're, living, we're, we're putting aside the old self. We're living for what's new. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, that's proclaiming, by proclaiming the gospel, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of the Lord. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel of Christ that is the image of God. Guys, Paul, in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he writes, he writes, For the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Guys, the reason he saved you and leaves you here, God, if you're his, saved you and leaves you here for one reason, is to share him with other people. That's it. That's it. And, and how we do that affects that eternal line. Guys, if all he was doing was saving you, then none of you would, those of you that are saved, well, none of you would be here. You will do everything for him way better in heaven when he takes you home. My dad, who is in eternity, he, he, went, he went to be with the Lord in September. He is worshiping God so much better, infinitely, literally better, than he ever did on the planet while he was here in, in body. So why wouldn't God take us home? Because believe it or not, guys, here's the, here's the crazy mess of the gospel. We are what Jesus is doing in the world today. I'm like, this is the best you got? <laughs> like, really, Lord? Like, this, this glorious mess is the best you got? I wouldn't have done it this way, man. I would have waited until Al Gore invented the internet and I would have just blasted it all over the globe and called it good. That's not his plan. Why? Because he's in it for the long game. He wants to use your gospel witness not only to see other people saved, but to see your eternity impacted. As you reveal God's righteousness, his desire to save, his righteousness in you grows. And that righteousness will be even more glorifying when he is fully revealed. Paul tells us in, 2, in 1 Corinthians chapter two, the natural man, the, the unregenerate man, the person that is only flesh, cannot understand the things of God, for they are spiritually appraised. Guys, some of you are sitting here today and you're like, "I am without understanding." Like, I don't get, and I, I remember I remember reading my Bible, reading my Old Testament. I'm at Grand Canyon College as an unbeliever. They knew it. I knew it. I'm sitting there. I'm, re- I'm taking Old Testament history from, bless his heart, a very good-natured and very boring Bible teacher, and I knew no Bible. I mean, I knew nothing, and and, and yet none of it made sense. I did the best I could. I passed the test, barely, barely. Um, the only, two cl- the only two grades, get, get this from your pastor. The only two grades in college I didn't get A's in, and I had my, my degree was in chemistry and biology, so I had hard classes. My only two grades, Old New Testament. Yeah. Does God have a sense of humor or what? My only two grades that were not A's, Old New Testament. I got C's in both, barely passed, but I, but I learned a ton. But here was the problem. None of it made sense to me. I would read those words and I'd be like, how would, anybody, how would any of you Bible-thumping Baptists because it was a very conservative Southern Baptist school back then. How would any of you Bible-thumping Baptists ever want to follow this vengeful, angry God? I read those same words. Word has not changed. I, I, that was in 1988, 87, 88. I, this has not changed since then. It hasn't changed at all, right? And, and yet, I read it now, and I'm like, like, How? How in the world can this completely loving, faithful God choose to love a sinner like me? When I was, when I was doing way worse than shaking my fist at him. Right, the answer is that's who he is. And the world is running around in the dark. My people perish for lack of knowledge. People in the church are running around in the dark. So are you in the dark. Fourth century um, church father Augustine said we will always be restless until our hearts find rest in thee. John Piper, pastor, author, He says it this way God is most glorified in us Your life will show the knowledge of God To the glory For his glory and the salvation of souls When you are most satisfied In him Right It it isn't Brain surgery The question is Will we listen To what he tells us to do In Romans chapter 8 don't turn there. Paul says, I just want to turn there so I get it right. Paul says, For we know that God works all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That's We love that verse. We also love verse 31 where he says, Well, since God is for us, who can be against us? We have to remember the process in the middle. And what Paul says in verses 29 and 30 is, For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that they might be the firstborn among brothers. That's you and I, if you're his. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Why? So that we might reveal his glory. That's why he does what he does. Guys, if you, this is who I was. This is my little light bulb. This is who I was, as an unbeliever. Like just going through life. You see my little smiley face going through life, really happy, right? Living my life my way. Guys, guys, understand this. Everybody, listen up. We're, I'm almost done. I'm about to land this plane. We have a couple of songs, um, and then you can share donuts. But guys, li- listen, listen. When I was this person, just going through my life, living my living my life, unwilling to bow my knee. This was is, this is my thinking. I, I'm not going to buy into what you're selling because I'm my own person. I define my own happiness. I make up my own mind. I, if I want something to happen, I am good enough to make it happen. And sadly, a lot of times it was true about all kinds of superficial things that didn't matter. Guys, but here was, here was even the infinitely more sad part of that story, of my story and your story if you're not in Christ. I was bowing the knee. I was. For the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ who is the image of God. I was just bowing my knee to the wrong entity. Because there is no middle ground. You are either this Doug... Right, or you have as Paul's been telling us been plugged into the gospel of Jesus Christ and his power in you is radiating God's glory so the question is which one are you which one are you are you the one going yeah but I'm not bowing my knee but you are or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, you know what, Doug, I, I, I do, I absolutely believe I am saved, but I just know that I'm in a season of struggle right now. I know that I've been distracted by the world. I know that my flesh has overwhelmed me. I, 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 I get it. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter we're in today, he gets a too, right? I understand that. Plug back in. Guys, because here's the problem. What, what, I, what happens is we, we start, we, we can't lose our salvation, so this is, this is where my analogy breaks down like they all do, but we start trying to drift away from the very power that the only power that makes it possible for us to look like Jesus and so then what ends up happening is instead of looking like this we look like this right the world is hard it is it's a dirty place dirt sticks and when that dirt sticks to us it diminishes the glory It doesn't remove it from us if we're in him, but it diminishes it. So the question is, which one of these describes you? Are you the person that's just completely, you're not even plugged in. You're plugged in and struggling. Or, and here's the cool part, guys. Not because you did anything better or you worked harder but because you laid it all down and you gave it all up and you started going, you know what, I can't, you can. I don't need to live some certain way because all I need to do is let you live through me. You become this one. That's the gospel. That's it. The gospel is not do. The gospel is Christ did. We just have to live that way. So is your life Living proof, like literally living proof that death is dead. Even when sometimes you get a little bit dirty, you're like, you know what? But but by the grace of God, He has cleansed me. Right? We saying it. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. I am whiter than snow. Do we live it? Every time you hear the accusation of the enemy, guys, as you leave here today, every time you hear the world baiting you into something, stop right then and, just, and don't say, no, I'm going to do better. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to watch that thing. I'm not going to look at that thing. I'm not going to just say, Jesus, help me. Do you believe? I am the resurrection and the life, he says. No one comes to the Father but through me. But he says, but if I die, I will come again and I will get you. And his only question he asks is, Do you believe it? Do you believe it? As the music team comes back up, I'm going to pray for, all, guys, for everybody here, including my own heart, to just go, I want to live like I believe it. I want to live like I believe it. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the truth that you have done for us not just only what only you could do, but you've done for us all that is required. There is nothing else we need to do. There's no other act other than this one thing. Believe. So Lord, I do pray right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would Help us to believe. What I want to pray right now for those that have not yet received that new heart. That have not yet had the gospel written on their heart. Lord, I want to pray that right now, just between them and the Lord, we're not going to make them raise their hand. Or I'm not going to lead them in a prayer. Just right now, your Holy Spirit is the only one who can do it. So I pray that you would. I pray that today would be the day of their glowing. and lord for for those of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are just fighting it out and struggling and just trying to get through the worries of today lord i want to pray that you would remind us that you've made us to be water walkers that you've called us to walk with you on the ways of this world that we need not hide we need not run we need not work hard we 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 just need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before you, you endured the cross despising the shame, and you defeated death, resurrection Sunday and you ascended to heaven, and you sent your Holy Spirit and you will return again in glory and on that day, Lord, let us be people who have both hands on the plow Let's be people who because because your Holy Spirit has just has just welded us to it that we would be so about your mission that we couldn't help but live our lives as living proof that death is dead that Christ has won that victory is ours that Satan is defeated Lord remind us as your people that death no longer matters Death is just a doorway into resurrection glory. But let us be people who say, not my will, but your will be done. For the fame and the glory of your name, we pray these things. Amen.